Job, the book of Job, 42 chapters there are in Job, and a uh, very interesting book, uh, a lot of things in Job that uh, you won't find anywhere else in Scripture, uh, but great, great truths that are taught here. Uh, Job is more than likely the oldest book in our Bible as far as the uh, time frame that it was written in. Uh, it's the first of the poetic books. So last week we finished Esther, and uh, that was the end of the historic books, what we call the historic books of Israel, uh, that tell mainly of the history of Israel. We get into Job, and uh, we begin the first of five poetic books. Uh, we have Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon, are known as the poetic books. <clears throat> it's set during a time period, more than likely, again, understand that our Old Testament books, in the order that they're in in our Bibles, are not necessarily in chronological order. Oftentimes they move forward, and then they come back and focus in on uh, something that happened earlier, give a little more detail. So this book is actually set... Uh, more than likely during the times of the patriarchs, which would be the times of uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, that, that sort of time period, uh, before Israel was even a nation, uh, before uh, the captivity in Egypt, before the Exodus, all of those things, the setting of this book is earlier than that. <clears throat> it tells the story of um, Job, who the Bible says is a righteous man. Uh, he eschews evil. He follows after God. He loves God. And uh, yet he goes through a time of uh, absolute trial and testing. And the question is asked throughout the book, why? And really the, the whole concept of this book is God showing his testing uh, of Job and the question of why being answered by God. And um, you ever get to the place where uh, when you were a kid um, where mom or dad told you to do something if you had the the courage to say why after you picked yourself up off the floor, if Dad was around especially, uh, they would usually follow that with an answer that was something along the lines of, because I, you had parents kind of like mine too, uh, because I said so. And that's really, and, and when you're young, uh, that's the only reason you need. And really, when you're old, that's the only reason you need. But I hope somewhere along the line we do get understanding into the whys and, and understand the reasons for some of those things. The truth is, when we ask God, the, the only answer we really need is because it's what he, He's doing. It's because it's what he, He's God. I'm thankful that oftentimes He does give us the answer to why. And uh, one of the things we're going to look at here is how, how God allows Job to ask the question. And we're going to see God's response to that. We're going to take a little bit of time in this Sunday lesson and possibly two Sundays from now when I get back. We may have to finish this one up because uh, it may be a rather lengthy lesson if we get into all of this. It begins the first part of this book, the first couple chapters here, first chapter or chapter and a half, uh, a discussion between God and Satan. So uh, there's a misconception, I think, today that when God casts Satan out of heaven for his rebellion that they have no more communication, no more contact. The truth is the Bible says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He still is able to come into God's presence and to accuse us. There's going to come a day where God's going to cast him into the bottomless pit, and finally he's going to uh, put him away forever for the rest of eternity, but it's not at this time it is not the case. He still is able to walk around uh, and do things 
Uh, certainly to have access to God and be able to have discussions and con- uh, uh, conversations with Him. Look with me in Job chapter number 1. Let's look in verse number 7. Job chapter 1 and verse number 7. <clears throat> and the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. Now again, the word perfect here, when we find that in Scripture, it's not referring to the fact that he was sinless. It's referring to the fact that he was well matured in, in his spirituality. He was grown in uh, his spiritual uh, maturity. And uh, the Bible says he was an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. By the way, that ought to be the characteristics that every Christian strives for. In the day that we live, we find that if it was to be read of many Christians today in this verse, it would be that we are not upright men and we are ones that do not fear God and we do not eschew evil. And uh, the sad commentary today is many people don't have those characteristics. And yet it ought to be one of the, the goals that we strive for in the Christian life. How much do we hate evil? How much do we love God? How much do we fear Him and have reverence for Him and His, His ways? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him, and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath uh, is in thy power, only upon himself put not forth thy hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And we know the story how that Satan comes and afflicts Job through the loss of his cattle, through the loss of his children, through the loss of his servants. Everything that Job had in this world as far as worldly material things uh, are gone at this point. I, um, I am amazed at how attached we become to material things in this earth. Brother Oates texted me early this morning about 6.30 and we were carrying on a conversation back and forth via text uh, with regards to his, his deacon. And he said he had a massive stroke last week. And I, I, was, I was sitting there and thinking, I had been doing some praying already that, this morning and uh, the thought came to mind and I, I started thinking on this. I thought, you know, at this point in time and when certain things like this happen to us, uh, material things become very unimportant, don't they? If I were in that position, if, if I was the one that had that stroke, or if one of my family members had that stroke, really my concern for material things would be the furthest thing from my mind. Isn't it amazing that material things are so important to us when really they are so frivolous? In light of eternity, in light of the things of the, the, our health. You know, the Bible speaks, and Jesus taught about this, of a rich man whose crops had done very well. And he was glad for that. And, and we enjoy material things. There's no doubt about it. God allows us to have them, I think, for enjoyment in this life and to do some things there and, and, uh, of good and that we become good stewards of what he entrusts us with. And so I don't think material things are wrong. I think how, how we become so attached to them becomes a point where they're wrong. Our attachment to them ought not to be such. Uh, the fellow said, I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger barns. And God called him a fool, didn't he? 
God said, thou fool. You're, you're, you're focusing on the wrong things. Those material things were meant as a blessing, to be an enjoyment, to be something that God blessed us with in our lives. They're not something that we're to cling to, that we're to, that we're to have uh, absolute hope in. And it's amazing how materialistic we become. And jo- God had blessed Job very much materially. In fact, um, one of the reasons why we, we certainly believe that this was uh, prior to the nation of Israel being formed, this book was written, is because one of the measurements of Job's wealth was not his silver and gold. It was his cattle. And that was one of the ways that people would, uh, would tell if God's blessing was upon someone or how wealthy they were. Uh, even Abraham spoke of the, the great cattle and how God blessed him. Jacob uh, was blessed with cattle when he was serving under his uh, father-in-law. And uh, these things were done in the patriarchal period to, to express how much wealth a person had. And so Job is certainly blessed of God. He's got great wealth, and God takes all of it away, allows Satan to take all of it away from him. All of it. Now, let me ask you a question. Did that mean that God loved Job any less? No. Sometimes we look at the, the troubles and the trials of life, the fact that uh, it doesn't seem to be going our way. We're, we're hitting a rough spot as God forsaking us or God not loving us as much as He used to. And there's a question that ought to be asked every time something like this happens in our life, and that is this. Am I, and I, I, I preached a message on this years ago, and the question was this. Am I a Job or am I a Jonah? Both of them suffered some loss. But one of them su- suffered it because of the judgment of God, because he was doing wrong. The other one was suffering the testing of God because he was doing right. When the trials of life come, it's a question we need to ask ourselves. Because if, I, if I'm doing something wrong and God is using this as a chastening moment to draw me to him, I don't want to be thinking that I, he's doing this to test me because I'm righteous. I want to make sure I understand that it's, there's something there I need to get right. But don't, don't mistake this. And there were some people in the Bible that when Christ was in his earthly ministry came to him and asked him why this man was blind and said, was it because of his sins or the sins of his parent? And Jesus said, neither. He said, it's, he's this way because uh, the Son of Man needed to be glorified through him. And so don't, don't assume that every rough patch we hit in life is simply because of the chastening of God. Sometimes it's because of his testing. And God is right to do so. Whenever he does that, I know we don't enjoy those testings, but for us to sit here and blame God or get bitter at God or upset at God over those things, we don't have the right or the place to do so. God is always good and he's always right. And he's no different in this case. We're going to see that in just a little while. We find that throughout the book, in the first two chapters, God and Satan have a discussion about Job and they begin the testing of Job in chapter number two and on. Uh, from chapter 3 through about chapter number 32, 34, somewhere in that range, uh, we find that there are uh, three different cycles, if you will, or three different time periods where Job enters into a debate with his friends, uh, even his wife at some times. And there's three main cycles over the next uh, 30 chapters or so uh, where they go through this debate that takes place. And uh, it, it ends with God helping Job see his problem and Job acknowledging God's sovereignty. And I'm going to use the word sovereignty. And uh, I know some people don't really care for that word. Um, and I, we, we don't find it specifically stated in Scripture. 
But if you take uh, the definition, the old Webster's 1828 definition of sovereignty, it deals with this, and I, I, I put these definitions down, supreme in power, and this is what we mean when we say God is sovereign. He's supreme in power. He possesses supreme dominion, meaning he's got control and, and authority over everything that is. Uh, he is the sovereign ruler of the universe, and there's no doubt about that. There is a sovereignty in God that takes place throughout Scripture. And if we're not careful, we will mistake sovereignty uh, to the, the, the points of Calvinism, which say that everything is predetermined and man has no free will. But understand this, that there is a sovereign will of God that cannot and will not be changed. It's been so from the course of history, and that has been um, the redemption of man. The, the Bible says that Jesus Christ was a lamb that was slain before the foundations of the earth were even laid. God already knew there was going to be a redemptive plan. There was a plan in place. There were certain things that were prophesied and specific dates given and time frames given, and those are never changeable. Those are within God's sovereign plan, and uh, He dictates that. He has authority over that, and that's going to happen. Now, within His sovereign plan, and this is how we understand this uh, and we justify the idea of the free will of man. God does give man free will. And man is free to choose as he wills. And oftentimes we suffer the consequences for our choice because it's not always what God desires for us. Uh, but understand this, that within our free will, the choices we make, we do not disturb nor do we change his sovereign will for the world, his plan for all of time. That is going to happen. You can rest assured the rapture is going to happen. You can rest assured the tribulation period is going to happen. The millennial reign is going to happen. The eternity uh, with Christ is going to happen. Those are things that are settled. They're within God's sovereignty. Within that sovereignty, I'm thankful that He gives each of us free will. For only by our free will are we able to express love to Him. A love that is demanded, a love that is required, is no love at all. It has to be given willingly and freely. So, He is supreme, He is sovereign, and there is certain things that are within His sovereign will. Whether He chooses to test our faith or not, it's not up to our free will, it's up to His sovereignty. That's for Him to choose or not. Whether God sends revival is within His sovereign will. We can live everything right. We can be pursuing after the, the power of the Holy Spirit. We can be walking with Him. We can have our hearts in the right place. And God may or may not choose to send revival during that period of time. Why? Because it's in His power. We can't make revival happen. It's got to be sent by God. So, I don't think sovereignty is in contrast with the free will of man. I think it's supplementary to and, and, and actually works well and integrates well together. I'm not a Calvinist. I do not believe in the predetermination of man, that man has no choice in the matter, that, everything, that we're robots going through things that have already been laid out and have been dictated by God. I believe God gives every man a free will. But I do believe in a sovereign will of God throughout the plan of the world from the beginning of time to the end of time, and that that will will be accomplished regardless of what our free will does in the interim. And uh, so understand this, and, and we're going to see some of this that, that Job understands uh, by the end of this book. The Hebrew name for this book, uh, I can't pronounce it. <laughs> I'm not even going to try to give it to you. But it meant the persecuted one. And so the Hebrews, when they 
first had this book, referred to it by that name as the persecuted one. Later on, um, the uh, Arabic name for it uh, became known as the repentant one. Uh, and again, I can't pronounce that name either, but they referred to it, and that name that they used for this book was referred to as the repentant one. The truth is, both definitions uh, work well for this book. Uh, there certainly is the persecution of Job. There certainly is the idea of Job's repentance. And uh, the Greek name for it uh, is the Greek Yoda and then uh, the uh, Omicron and the, uh, the other uh, letters that are in there, the Greek letters, um, the beta. And uh, we, we call it Job in English. That's what our English Bible says. And that's the name that was given to it uh, in the common use of the Greek and um, later on the Latin. Uh, the author is unknown. We don't know for sure who the author is. Um, there have been a number of folks. I'm going to list to you some of the ones that some commentators believe could have written it. Uh, Job himself, Elihu, who's uh, certainly during the time of Job. Moses uh, is probably the most common one that people refer to. Solomon, Isaiah, uh, Hezekiah, uh, Jeremiah, Baruch, and uh, Ezra. Those are all folks that some commentators think that they have some reason to believe were able to pen this book. The truth is we don't know for certain. There is no textual evidence. In some of the books that we've read about, especially in Ezra and Nehemiah, there were certain things we would find hints of it in in the text itself as to who the author was. There is nothing in the book of Job that gives us any indication as to who did it. There is a unique thing here in that there is no um, Hebraic or, or Israelite culture, uh, that, uh, background that indicates uh, probably that it was done by a Gentile, which would, which would bear its... Uh, it, would, it, would, it would come to, to be the, the common thought process if we know that this took place prior to uh, the Israelite nation being formed and that culture being established. So, again, it, it more than likely was written in the Abraham time period or uh, Isaac period. It does mention us in here, uh, and that was close in uh, the proximity of Midian, which is why a lot of people think that Moses probably was the one who compiled the book uh, based off of written records that were written maybe either by uh, Job himself uh, or Elihu. Uh, again, but at the end of the day, we don't know for certain. Uh, there is some supposition about this. Uh, suffice to say, it is inspired by God, and that's the important part. Uh, who the human instrument was to pen the words is not as important as understanding that this is an inspired word of God that was given to us. Um, the time of Job took place, uh, the, uh, the Chaldeans, okay, let's, let's talk about this for a minute. The Chaldeans who were used to destroy the servants of Job are referred to in this book as uh, nomads. They're, travel, they're a traveling band. Uh, they don't have an established city at this point. Later on, we know that they have uh, Ur of the Chaldees, which Abraham comes from or is a part of. Um, and they have cities at that point. So, again, it could lead to the idea that it even predates slightly um, Abraham. Uh, so it kind of gives us a, a better idea of time frame. Uh, it mentions in the book in chapter, um, uh, I don't have the chapter verse, I'm sorry. But it mentions here in the book that Job lived 140 years uh, after these events, which would put him 
probably somewhere close to the 200-year-old range. Again, that fits that time period. Men were living that long during that time period. Uh, in Genesis, we know that Abraham lived at least 175 years. So, again, it fits pretty well within that time. Uh, Job's wealth was measured by uh, the livestock that he had in chapter 1 and verse 3 of Job. We find out about that. And then again, at the end of the book, in Job 42, verses 1 and 2, we are, um, verse or number 12, we find uh, again that his livestock is a measurement of his wealth. Uh, similar to the other patriarchs that are mentioned, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Job is the priest of his home. So again, the tabernacle has not been established at this point. The priestly line of Aaron has not been established at this point. And it was up to the, the patriarch of the family to offer the offerings for his family. And so uh, the sacrificial offerings. And so uh, Job does that in here. We find in, in this book that he is in that role for his family. Uh, there's no reference to Exodus or Egypt or even the nation of Israel for that matter. There's no mention of the Mosaic Law. There's no mention of the tabernacle. So, again, this book would predate all of that. Um, the family was a, uh, uh, a family unit that was the social unit of the day. And families would oftentimes for numerous, numerous generations would all live together on a compound with the, the oldest male of the family being the patriarchal figure uh, and the spiritual leader of the home. Which, by the way, is a great picture of the role that God has given men in the home uh, to be the spiritual leaders. Um, the Christ of Job. Let's take a look at this. Uh, we're going to look at a few passages, so keep your Bibles handy. We've got just a few minutes. We'll get through what we can, and then what we can't, we'll finish in two weeks. But let's look in Job chapter 19, if you will. Job chapter 19. I love, I love when the Old Testament speaks of Christ, don't you? And uh, what a wonderful thing. Job chapter number 19. And uh, let's look in verse number 25. We're going to read a few verses here. Notice what he says in verse 25. He says, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, through my reins be cons- though my reins be consumed within me. And Job knew that even though Christ had not yet appeared on the screen, uh, on the scene, uh, he knew that there was going to come a redemption of himself uh, and that he was going to, with his own eyes, see God. And uh, what, a, what a wonderful statement of faith by Job, isn't it? We actually have a song that uses the phrase of this verse, I know that my Redeemer liveth and on the earth again shall stand. And Job knows these things. He understands these things. Uh, just because he was pre-Abraham uh, and pre-Israel does not mean that uh, he was ignorant of God or his ways or the promises of the Redeemer. Uh, let's look also in chapter number 9, back a few cha- uh, chapters. Chapter number 9, we're going to look at a couple of passages here. Job chapter number 9, and let's look in verse number 33. Neither is there any, uh, any days, uh, days man betwixt us that might lay his hand upon us both. Let him take his rod away from me. Let, uh, let's see, back up a minute. I, I think I got the wrong verse here. Let's see what I've got. 9, chapter 9. Maybe it is it. I get it. Ah. Let 
Let's back up to verse 30. I think is where I'm trying to be. If I wash myself with snow water and make my hands never so clean, yet shalt thou plunge me in the ditch, and mine own clothes shall abhor me. There we go. For he is not a man as I am, that I should answer him, and we should come together in judgment. Neither is there any day's man betwixt us that might lay his hand upon us both. And the phrase daysman here is an Old Testament term for a mediator, someone that would come between and justify or bring resolution to two parties at a disagreement. So again, uh, there's a reference here to him looking forward to a mediator that would, even though he was washed with, uh, he uses the phrase up here in verse number 30, snow water, uh, that his hands would never be so clean, and he needed a mediator between him and God. And so again, a great picture of this. Uh, look in Job chapter number 25. Job chapter number 25. And let's look in verse number 4. Job 25 and verse number 4. How then can a man be, uh, how then can man be justified with God, or how can he be clean that is born of a woman? And so again, Job understands his need that man is not able to do these things, his need for a mediator. And even though the mediator is not expressly stated here, oftentimes the questions that Job asks are to make a point. They're not to find out the answer. He already knows the answer. But to make the point that he is in need, that man cannot do this of himself, he is standing in need of someone to come between him and God and to reconcile them. Let's look in chapter number 33 and verse number 23. Let's back up to verse 22. Yea, his soul draweth near unto the grave, and his life to the destroyers. If there be a messenger with him, an interpreter, one among a thousand, to show unto a man his uprightness, then he is gracious unto him, and saith, Deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. And so again, speaking here of a mediator that keeps him from going down to the pit, that ransoms him from the evilness that he knows he has in his own life. There are some questions that are asked throughout the book of Job that, of course, are answered easily by the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. I would love, and, and maybe this afternoon we'll finish this lesson in the afternoon service, because uh, I really I hate to wait two weeks for what's left in here, because uh, the, the best part's yet to come. Um, so somebody said years ago when, when, they, get, uh, when they die and, and they have the funeral service that they want to get buried with a fork, and the reason they were told to keep the fork was when at the dinner table, Mom would tell them after the meal, hold on to your forks because the best is yet to come, meaning the dessert was coming. And so maybe let's just say it this way. Hold on to your forks on this one, okay? Because the best is yet to come. Job is seeing some great, great things in this book from God that would do us well to often, often read this book. And understand the things that Job understood and saw. So uh, perhaps this afternoon in the 1 o'clock, I think maybe, maybe I might go that route. I had something else planned, but uh, maybe we'll finish this lesson in the afternoon hour. So let me encourage you in that. I, hate, I just hate to wait two weeks uh, to come back to it. But let's, uh, let's go ahead and end there. We've got just a few minutes left till the next service. And uh, we'll go ahead and have a word of prayer and be dismissed. Father, we're thankful for your word. We pray that you'll bless it and use it. May you guide and direct us as we study it. I pray that it will be um, a help to us. And, Father, we are in need. We are in need of your guidance, your direction, and your help day by day. Lord, there's nothing that we can do in this life without you that is of any profit 
that is of any good. And Lord, anything that is done without you is at best vanity.